Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by America's Choice Windows, where you'll get 10 windows for just $36.80. Hunter, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. I've got a uh, new house being built right now, and the uh, plumber missed his dimensions, and they're telling me they're going to have to uh, jackhammer the slab to move some piping uh, on the slab, and I'm curious as to uh, do I need to be concerned, and if so, what, what do I need to do to alleviate potential problems? How much jackhammering? How many feet are we talking? Probably uh, moving some pipes two feet. Oops, I'm sorry. I, you lost, I lost you for a second. Probably two feet. Two feet or ten? Two. Oh. As in one, two? Yeah. I, I wouldn't worry about two feet at all. With okay. the exception, the only question you have to ask, are you going to cross any beams doing it? If they're crossing one of the beams, make sure they don't cut it in two. Uh, the post-tension wires? Uh, not the wires, but the uh, crisscrossing the house is going to be uh, grade beams. And uh, basically, the, if you look at a waffle, yeah, that's the yeah, way your okay. slab is. And if they got to cross one of those beams, uh, you don't want them cutting that in two. Okay. They can chip into it, but don't let them cut it in half. All right. Thank you, Jim. You bet. Take care. Bye. And, and just for everybody listening, had he said that uh, they were wanting to go, you know, 10 feet, I'd get a little bit more worried about it because I know you're going to be crossing beams. You're going to be crossing the post-tension cables and all that stuff. You don't want any of those things cut. If he was going to tell me they were going 20 feet, I'd tell him to start redesigning the house. You don't want to cut a 20-foot trench through the middle of a house. Regardless of what they tell you, the way they're going to put it back together and stuff, it is never as good as the house was originally. And where you'll run into problems is down the road when you're putting tile floors across that cut area and stuff. It can make a difference. When you're cutting just a, a little two-foot trench like that, you'll be fine because it's all tight enough and, and, and stay secured. But always look at the surface of your foundation like the skin on a, on a drum. The bigger you make the hole, the more problem you're going to have with it. Mike, welcome. How can I help you? Uh, thank you for taking my call. I have a fairly new home. It has the uh, a tankless water heater. I got the PEX piping with the manifold in the garage. And it takes a long time for the water to go from the you know, from the cold water from the just coming into the water heater or actually the hot water to get to the manifold right. from the heater and then go out. So, And right where my water heater is, I have a master bath. And I was thinking, is there could I cut a header into the, uh, into the line going to the manifold and just come out with, say, a couple of lines to my lavatory and maybe... Well, just to the lavatories and then maybe one to the kitchen sink. But absolutely. That... If it's going to shorten the run, you absolutely yeah. can do that. I mean, the only thing that you're going to lose is being able to go over to the manifold and shut the water off, but you can put a valve in it where you cut it in if you want. Okay. Should I just go ahead and, and uh, just put a T in it, or should I just uh, 
cut the valve uh, or just cut the line from the manifold. Um, isolate it. No, you can just uh, shut that valve off. This because the whole purpose of the manifold is there's one line going out to each. Uh, Correct. Right. Fixture. So you can shut that uh-huh. valve off if you want. Okay. Go up and cut and- the main line, T off of it. I would put another valve there then. So you can right. still shut that fixture off if you want. But, you know, whether you have a tankless or a tank, the, the water has to travel the same distance. And that's one of the complaints with these manifolds is it takes too long for the hot water to get there because it's traveling further. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's that's the big deal. That's, uh, I can get by with it. You know, I can uh, actually in the shower because it runs a little bit more volume through there and also through the tub it's it's okay it's just the two lavatories i'd like to you know have at least warm water pretty quick so yeah uh all right well that's a good deal well thank okay. you i appreciate it and you bet. Uh, have a great day you too thank you sir uh-huh. and, and just for everybody listening there is a second option i mean you can put a small on demand under the sink so you've got instant hot water there um you know, the, you can also put just a small tank type under the sink if a person wants. And what happens then is, you know, you got like a two-gallon or a five-gallon small tank there that gives you hot water right away. Then as it's filling up and you're using water, pretty soon the hot water from the water heater, main water heater, gets to it. And it just, you know, keeps on going. So you never... You don't notice the difference at all, but you've got instant hot water there. And that's only if you don't have access to the pipes. If you got access to the pipes and you can shorten the run like we were just talking about, by all means do it. You're not hurting a thing. Uh, the PEX pipe is very easy to work with as long as you have the right tools. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Hello, Harold. Hello. Yes, sir. On the topic of air conditioning, I was wondering if I could get your thoughts on VRF or variable refrigerant flow ductless. I'm considering that for a new home that I'm building, but I just didn't really know what to watch out for, if there are any pros and cons on that. Well, I have that in my house. Okay. Well, that's I have, a pretty good I have endorsement, I guess. I have two systems in my house. One is a conventional system, and then I have the, you know, the uh, ductless system. And I'll tell you what, Harold, if you'll hold on for just a second, I'm going to take a quick break here, and I'm going to come right back to you because there's several things we can talk about on this. When we left, I was talking with Harold about air conditioning and, and, uh, you know, kind of looking at the difference between going conventional or going with the ductless. Yes, sir. So how big a house are we talking about? Uh, About 3,100 square feet. Okay. A lot of separate rooms then? Uh, it's open concept with, uh, I guess, master and the, th- well, four bedrooms would be separate, but all the rest is kind of one big area. Okay. Ideal situation then to go with, with these ductless systems because each room you're able to have your own thermostat and control the temperature. Uh, and in the, in the larger rooms, you can even, you know, have more than one head unit and, you know, control different sides that way. Um, the nice thing about the ductless systems is they're typically much quieter than a conventional air conditioning system and a, and way more energy efficient. Where a standard 
duct type system if you go with just a, a uh, oh single phase motor uh, not phase but uh, a single speed motor and say you get it a 16 or an 18 sear which is actually a decent rating you compare that to a ductless system that starts at a rating of 34 36 sear and when you mix in the variable speeds at how low it's run that thing can be running at 45 plus sear ratings I mean extremely energy efficient um, and that's you know that's one of the big reasons I put it in my home but the other thing is the the what we were talking about earlier on the duct work because there's no duct work involved you don't have the expense of doing all that installation so the units themselves do cost a little bit more than a conventional unit but you don't have duct work to deal with you don't have maintenance on the duct work to deal with and you don't have to deal in the future with those code changes and I think you're gonna find a lot more people once they implement that code change it's gonna make a lot more money sense for everybody to be looking at going duckless duckless uh, and and that's why most of Europe has already done that um, they 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 just don't use the duckless or the duck type systems over there right maybe two two follow-up questions one what about a small room like a butler's pantry next to the kitchen would I need a separate head in that or do I need to find a way to get some airflow in there and the second part would be uh, you know like the nest uh, Google thermostat would it work with something like that uh, first on the small rooms and this includes whether it's uh, the pantry like that some of the closets uh, bathrooms things like that if a bathroom's big enough you can put a unit in it one of the head units in it but typically what you would do is just have a exhaust fan to bring air in there and that's any of the rooms just have ventilation to bring air into that room uh, and you can accomplish that even with very small fans that move air into it okay uh, as far as the uh, oh, I forgot the second question uh, no, like the nest thermostat oh yes you won't be messing with that because typically the head each head unit has its own remote control so okay. it's it's not a it's not going to be a wall mounted thermostat. Got it. Got it. Okay. Great. Now, great. Well, one one cautionary thing. Uh, you'll have an outside unit, and depending on the outside unit, you can control multi rooms. Like I've got one here at my house that's designed to have two heads. So I've got two different rooms that are working off one outside unit, and you can have them you know operate eight different rooms. Uh, they also have, and, and this will be a decision you have to make, units that are available because they, these units both heat and cool, but they have units available that you can heat and cool at the same time. In other words, if you got one room that you, you know, say you got uh, your mother living with you and she wants to keep a room warm all the time, the rest of the house, everybody wants to be cool, that there are units available that, that one unit, that one room can be heated while the rest of the rooms are being cooled at the same time. But that has to be done on the purchase end of the of the equipment. Uh, it's not something that can be retrofitted easily. But but no matter what, they would all they would be able to all cool or all heat at the same time. Is that, that right? That is correct. And so if if you went with variable refrigerant flow, then you then there's no such thing as like a natural gas furnace or anything like that. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. Okay, thank you. This is very helpful.
Let's head to Cyprus. Robert, how can I help you today? Hi, Jim. A uh, question. I have a, um, I just purchased a home, an existing home, and it, the back door uh, has a uh, door jam area at the lower six inches on either side that looks like it's um, weather damaged. Um, and so I'm wondering what the best method or best uh, process to, to have that replaced or repaired. You like the door? Is it in still good shape? Yes, sir. Okay. The, the, the door jam, which is what you're dealing with around that, is uh, typically all the doors are pre-hung. So it's tipped into place, but you can literally cut the bottom off and replace it with another piece. If you go into a lumberyard or one of the box stores, they'll actually have the door jam material for sale. And as long as you can make a clean cut across there, you can actually put a new piece in, uh, seal up where the joint is, you know, make it smooth, and then paint it, and nobody will know the difference. It's all in the skill set of putting it in. Um, the hardest part of the whole thing is the uh, threshold across the base of the door. But it typically is screwed down into the concrete. If it's not, you can always change out the threshold to a different one, but uh, usually it's not that difficult to, to clean them up that way. You're going to have to remove the trim boards on both inside and out. And is it on brick or is it on siding brick. in that area? Okay. Brick. You'll have a, a piece of trim that is for matching up to brick, and that's typically going to be like an inch and a half thick and two inches wide and usually that's going to rot at the same time that the bot the door jam does it did it did yes sir okay so honestly with that just take it off throw it away and buy new material to put all the way around the door because it's really not not it, it'll cost you 10 bucks and it'll be all nice new and really blends in nice then with replacing the bottom of that door jam uh, so I don't need to, uh, so you're saying it, that would be better than uh, replacing the entire door jam? It'll be a whole lot easier than replacing the entire door jam. Because if you go to replace the entire door jam, now you're going to have to line up and recess the door hinges and all that stuff. And trying to get those into alignment is tough. Right. Is that something that I could... Um... If, if I chose not to do that myself, is that something that a contractor could do? Yes. You're going to have probably a little trouble finding one who's willing to do uh, just that. You'd have to have some other things for them to do. Or they'd have to charge you quite a bit to do just one thing like that. But it, it's actually done all the time. Okay. Yeah, cause it's, it's on both sides yeah. of the door. And it's because... Um, there are no gutters in the back. Yeah, over pa over doors, patios, garage doors, things like that. That's where a person needs gutters. Okay, I'm fixing to buy a house in Huntsville. Sandy soil areas, as you know. Anyway, I have a lot of guns. I have three so-called 30-gun capacity safes. I'm guessing each one weighs approximately 900 pounds when loaded. My question is, 
I would like to put them all in the same room or do I need to space them out different rooms I don't want to hurt the slab thanks and PS my wife and I love your radio show all right Andy put them all in the same room I want you to think about it this way how much does a car weigh we park those in our garages all the time your foundation doesn't know the difference between whether that car is in the garage or not in the garage and your foundation won't know the difference if you've got those three gun safes in that room or not now if you told me you were going to be putting like 10 gun safes in a room yeah then we're, we're going to start talking it yeah you may be starting to feel some of the issues of it but when you take and figure that 900 pounds divide that out by the square inches that it's going on or even the square footage that's going on you're going to be fine I don't I would not recommend doing that on a pier and beam home you know where you got the floor joist or on a second floor but on the concrete slab hey you'll be fine doing that I wouldn't worry about it a bit Mark in Duncanville how can I help you I'm great uh Thanks for taking the call. I have a question. I have a house that's a little over 40 years old. The uh, air conditioning system, the ductwork is under the slab. Yep. And you know where that's going. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to go back with overhead ductwork. And what my, my question is, what do I do to seal that up so that water doesn't, you know, come on up to the floor? Sure. Well, you've got two things you can do. One is you can literally just fill it with the, the entry with concrete, and the pipe on yes, the is still going to fill with water, but it, it's really not that big a deal if it does. The no. other choice is they make a product called Flowable Fill, and it is a concrete-based product that actually flows through. They use it for filling old sewer pipes and things like that when they're, when mm -hmm. they're not going to use them, uh, filling tunnels and it does a good job of filling those uh, those old air conditioning duct pipes as well. But truly, if all you do is take sacrete, mix it up, and dump it in the hole and fill it in, you'll be just yeah. fine. Okay. That's what I'll do. Sure okay, appreciate okay. it. You bet. Take Thanks. care, Mark. I thought we'd have just a, a brief conversation about the difference between buying new homes versus an old home. When you buy new homes, what they were trying to say is, you know, if you're tight on money and you got to know for sure what your payments are going to be, new homes suit you better. Because if you buy an old home, the air conditioner can go out, uh, you know, the, the water heater can go out and all these different things. What they left off, when you buy a new home, you typically, you have to deal with landscaping. You have to deal with getting window covers, you know, like shades or drapes or something. But the big one that they fail to bring up that costs you month after month, it actually affects the mortgage payment, is property taxes. And it really rubbed me wrong that they left that out. And it's not that you can't have the same issue if you buy a used home. But when you buy a new home, typically the property taxes aren't set yet to what they're going to be till after the first year. And so, yes, you go in with a low payment, but you need to be prepared. That following year, when they have the true appraisals, the property taxes are going to go up. Therefore, your payment will go up. 
and that stays for the rest of the time that you own the home. Typically, if you buy a used home, property taxes are already where they're going to be. And so when your mortgage is calculated, that's what the mortgage will be unless you get a, an adjustable rate or until there is a increase in the value of the home, which does happen. Don't get me wrong, but that's never as big a jump as when you buy new. But the other thing is a lot of times when you're buying a used home, you have a new AC, you have a new water heater. And don't, don't take this the wrong way, but the water heater goes out big deal. It's not like it's going to cost you $10,000 to replace the water heater. Yes, if you hire a plumber to come in and replace a water heater, you're typically looking at something in the $1,200 to $1,800 range. But it is something you can do yourself if need be and save money that way. On the other side of it, you buy new. Guess who controls the value of your home? And this is the other thing that was left out that really aggravates me. When you buy a new home in a new neighborhood, that builder controls the value of your home. Because all they have to do is lower the price of their new homes. They just drop the value of your home as well. So be cautious. If you're going to buy a new home in a new neighborhood, be prepared that you've got to hold on to that home until that neighborhood is built out. Then market will take over pricing. But until that point, the builder can change what size homes they're building. They can change their pricing structure. And everything that they do affects the value of your home. Instead of everything being built out, and now your home that you take pride in taking care of is set by the market. So... Just my just my little tidbit. Uh, the other thing, though, that on new homes versus a used home, typically, yes, water heaters and ACs, you get those checked. You have that looked at prior to purchasing the home. But some of the things that, uh, you know, a lot of times people don't think about, the paint on a new home typically is not as good as the paint on a used home. Why is that? Because the builder's going to buy the cheapest stuff he can get in order to get that house ready to buy. Builders, don't get mad at me. You know that's what is done. And the paint typically doesn't last that long. So you got to be prepared that you will be repainting the house both inside and out. Uh, the landscaping, though, window covers and property taxes, those are the big ones that you've got to be prepared. So if you're looking for a home, I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with buying new home versus used home. Just be aware both homes have things that you got to, you know, budget for. Chris, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Good afternoon. How are you today? Wonderful. Good, good. I was driving in and listening to you, and I, with your lead-in about new homes, I started to, I really perked my interest. I'm a broker. I'm an ex-builder. And one of the pitfalls that people have regarding taxes is that taxes are set on property in Texas, on the 1st of January every fiscal year. Right. So what happens with builders is the house is only partially built in January, and they come out and say, all right, well, this is the tax amount. Let's say it's $60,000. Well, with that, let's say you move in the house in, let's say, June. You'll pay taxes based on that, that, six, you know, that, that minimal amount, 
And then when they come back out in January, they're going to say, hey, you know what? Guess what? This is a $220,000 house, and here's the new tax amount. Right. That's huge payment shock to people. Not only just the payment, but also if you have a mortgage, you're going to have to readjust your escrow account. Well, and, and that's what was really rub, rubbing me wrong when I was listening uh, them talk about that, because they were recommending to people that, you know, you can basically max out what you can afford because this house is not going to need anything. And that's just <laughs> not true. Yeah, you're paying retail plus 10 percent most. I mean, you're paying the very top of the market for new homes regardless. Yes. So there's a premium associated with buying a house that no one's ever lived in. So. And you can check that. I mean, it's a little hard to do that when they're out, you know, way out the stick somewhere. But when you're in the city or you're in where they're building infill lots, you will see that, you know, to buy the new home in a similar footage is going to be significantly higher than if you're buying an, a, an older home that's, we'll say, you know, within a quarter mile. Anyway, Chris, I just thought it was but I appreciate your show. Thanks so much. Hey, I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Chris. Ron, this is Jim. How can I help you today? Hey, I've got a question. I, uh... My concrete under my uh, portage uh, is coming, is rising up, and the other part is, is down flat. I noticed my gutter, where my gutter is coming down, water is coming through there. Maybe water is getting up under the concrete. Absolutely, yep. Uh, what can I do? do? Do I have to get that concrete cut out? And... Well, if it's caused the concrete to rise, uh -huh. the first thing I would do is... I extend my gutters out and get it where the water's not going underneath. Okay. And see if the concrete won't settle back down some on its own. As a, okay. as the soil dries out, it may drop back down. Now, that's going to be a lengthy process, you know, 6, 12 months to, right, right. for it to happen. But if you're not in a huge rush, I would do that first. Okay. Okay, great. Well, that's all I need to know. <laughs> Okie doke. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.